Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. We'll get to the recording of this Sunday's message in just a moment, but first I want to ask, are you a listener who does not attend in person on Sundays, but who would be interested in meeting with other St. Paul's listeners in your area for a small group? Right now we have a couple people connected to St. Paul's who live in the New Haven shoreline area who would like to start an in-person small group you know, to meet for fellowship and discussion of the previous week's message. And so if you happen to be from the New Haven shoreline area and you would be interested in that, please email me to let me know. Ryan at stpaulswired.org. That's stpaulswired.org. And if you're not in that area, but you're in another area and you'd be interested in meeting with other listeners there, Email me to let me know what area you're from, and maybe we can put something together. In fact, even if you're not interested in a small group, but you're just a regular listener who doesn't attend in person, we'd love to hear from you just to know that you're out there, because uh, we don't really know how many people listen to this. So if you're willing, we'd love to hear from you. And as always, we'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. So over the last seven weeks now, we've been in our series, Jesus and the Women of Faith, looking at Jesus' interactions with women in the Gospels. And today, we are going to draw the series to a close uh, by looking at Jesus' interactions with women on the day of the resurrection, Easter Sunday. Now, I know we uh, looked at Easter morning just two months ago. Um, Is everything muted? Okay. All right. Um, so anyway, we looked at Easter two months ago on Easter Sunday, obviously, but there's nothing wrong with going back to Easter morning, best morning there ever was, right? So uh, if you want to turn to John 20, that's where we're going to start. Uh, John 20, beginning in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Right, this is significant because the body isn't there, but the linens are. Right? If somebody had just stole the body, you would assume that they would just take the whole thing. Why would they unwrap the body first? Right? So it's odd. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. 
Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go! And instead, to go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So, John's Gospel tells us that Mary Magdalene was the first witness to the empty tomb and the first witness to the risen Jesus. Now, the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell us that there were other women who were witnesses to both these these things as well. And uh, that's not a contradiction, right? Just because some Gospels leave out details that other ones include doesn't mean they're conflicting with each other. Um, And we know from... um, I believe it is uh, Mark, whatever, one of those other ones, um, that there's another Mary who was there, so many Marys, right? This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Mary Magdalene. There's another one. uh, She's described as the mother of James the Younger. And so this is probably the mother of one of the 12 disciples. James, there was a disciple that was referred to as James the Younger. And then... Um, we, we hear from one of the Gospels that a woman named Salome was there, whose scholars argue this is another mother of one of the twelve disciples, actually two of the twelve disciples, the other James. Again, this is kind of confusing, right? If you're making up a story, this is not the kind of story you would make up, right? This is not convenient for the narrative. But another, another mother, this one of James and John, the Sons of Thunder, So this is, Salome is probably the mother that went to Jesus and requested that her boys sit on Jesus' right and left when Jesus comes into his kingdom, right? She wanted her boys to be second and third place in the Jesus administration when it began. Um, But she also apparently was a witness uh, at the, uh, the empty tomb. And then the Gospel of Luke also mentions a woman named Joanna, who we'll learn a little bit more uh, about in a moment. So it appears that there were at least four women that day who were witnesses to the empty tomb. And uh, according to Matthew, the women were also all witnesses to the risen Jesus before the disciples. Okay? Now, what do we know about these women? Unfortunately, we don't know a lot. Again, that's another sign that the Gospels are just reporting what, what actually happened you know, rather than just trying to fabricate some kind of story. Uh, But we get a little bit of information in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. This is what it says. 
Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, which probably means she was from the fishing town of Magdala, uh, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, we don't know anything about Susanna. This is it. This is the only place she's ever mentioned. Uh, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So you can see two of the Easter witnesses that we know of are mentioned there, right? Mary Magdalene and uh, Joanna. And the many others that are referred to there may also include the other women uh, that are described as being the witnesses. And we learn at least three things about them in that passage. The first is that Jesus had healed them, right? Long before they witnessed Jesus' resurrection, they experienced some of Jesus' resurrection power in their own lives because he freed them from either physical or spiritual illnesses. We're told that uh, Mary Magdalene had seven demons exercised out of her. And uh, that number seven, it might actually be more symbolic than literal because seven was a number that represented fullness, right? So it might be the, a way of saying uh, Mary was just in the worst way. She had seven demons, right? She was intensely demonically oppressed. And Jesus delivered her from that. So the second thing <clears throat> that we learn is that they were missionaries. Missionaries with Jesus, right? They traveled with him from town to town as he proclaimed the kingdom of God. They were part of the mission. Jesus did not just have male disciples. It's important for us to recognize that. Yes, the 12, as we call them, they were all male, but the 12 were not Jesus' only followers. The 12 weren't even the only ones who traveled with Jesus. They, they weren't the only ones who sat at Jesus' feet, learning from him. They weren't the only ones who helped proclaim the kingdom of God. There were many others and as Luke tells us, many of them were women. Not just one or two token females, but many women were traveling with them. At this point, I should make a little confession, uh, which is that on the first Sunday of this series, I was trying to um, give some reasons for why Jesus would only pick 12 male disciples, you know, of the 12. And I offered three reasons. And one of them I said was, well, you know, Jesus is picking traveling companions with the 12. And I said, it would make sense for the sake of propriety and the appearance of propriety that he would pick men for that role. But this passage does say that Jesus had female traveling companions. So just toss that point aside. <laughs> Just forget about it. I try to tell the truth every time I'm up here, but you know, I am human, so I try to admit when I was wrong. Um, so Jesus had 
women traveling with him. I suspect, you know, that in the evenings, women stayed with the women, men stayed with the men. But whether it was considered proper or not, Jesus had women traveling companions. So, um, I think the other two reasons I gave still hold up pretty well. So if you want to go back to that first sermon and listen to that, you can hear what I said there. But, so these women were on mission with Jesus. And as I have emphasized throughout this series, we have to appreciate how countercultural that was. Right? This was a culture that said that women should not even study Torah, the scriptures. It was a culture that said a woman's wisdom should be in the spindle, meaning she should know how to do things like sew, sewing. Right? But when it comes to studying the Torah, that sort of you know, meaty kind of, that, that is for men. And yet, Jesus had women on his team, traveling with him, learning from him, helping to proclaim the kingdom of God. And then, the third thing that we learn about these women is that they were sources of financial support for Jesus' ministry. Uh, Luke says, very clearly, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. And he says that one of them, Joanna, was the wife of the manager of Herod's household. That's very interesting, right? Because Herod is the king of Judea, not a friend to Jesus. And the manager of his household is the husband of Joanna, who is traveling with Jesus. Right? So this is a woman of means, right? And, um, and she was on Jesus' team. And she was helping to support the mission. Just an aside, you know, I've noticed in my years of following Jesus that in some Christian circles, there's kind of this insistence that you know, men are supposed to be the financial providers. And women are supposed to be the ones who are financially supported. And this is kind of like God's eternal order. Um, but if that's the case, Jesus was out of order, right? Because um, these women seem to really be the primary source of financial support. And of course, Jesus uh, was not out of order. Um, Jesus calls us to serve one another in love. As we do that, whoever ends up making the most money, male or female, good for them, right? May they be generous with whatever they have. So, the first witnesses to the empty tomb were women who had been healed by Jesus, who were disciples of Jesus, and who had financially supported the mission of Jesus. And we can add to this, of course, that they loved Jesus. And I don't mean that in the romantic sense, right? But they loved him. Why were they up when it was still dark that morning? to go to the tomb. It wasn't because they expected to see Jesus risen from the dead. They went because they loved him so much and they wanted his dead body to be honored, right? Because in that culture, as was the custom, you anointed a dead body with expensive spices, right? And so they were bringing that to go and anoint Jesus's dead body. And they went in faith, not even knowing how they were gonna get into the tomb. Mark tells us that along the way, they were saying, how are we going to get that stone out of the way, right? 
They didn't even know, but they went in faith because they loved Jesus and they wanted to honor him. And they ended up getting to honor him in a way that they never anticipated, in a much better way than anointing a dead body because they were the first ones who got to proclaim Jesus is risen. They were the first ones who got to do that. I mean, think about that. The central claim of the Christian gospel, right? Jesus is risen. This is the central claim that the church will carry for thousands of years, and they were the first ones who got to share that news. Now, that is significant for at least two reasons. And one of them, if you've been here on an Easter Sunday, you've heard me talk about this, which is that it helps us to see the authenticity of these resurrection accounts. If these stories were fabricated propaganda, it would be counterproductive to make women the first witnesses to the resurrection. Remember, this is a culture that said a woman's wisdom should be in the spindle. This was a culture that thought that women were too sinful, too corrupt to be taught Torah, to study Torah. And so it was a culture where a woman's testimony was considered to be less reliable than a man's. And yet these accounts put the women as the first witnesses. We can even see some of that attitude among the male disciples, uh, among the 11, when they are given the news by the women. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Ugh, that's crazy, crazy talk, right? So if women are described as the first witnesses, that's a sign that these accounts are trying to report what is true, not just what's convenient for the sake of propaganda. I mean, don't you think that if you were Matthew or John, one of, one of the 12 disciples, and you were writing the resurrection account, you would make yourself the first witness to the risen Jesus? But that's not the story that they tell. And then the second reason this is so significant is because it's a sign that the new kingdom that Jesus inaugurated on Easter Sunday is a kingdom where the last of society are made first and the humble are exalted, lifted up. The Apostle Paul would later write in his letter to the Galatians, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I, I have no doubt that those words were inspired by the kinds of stories that we've been looking at over the last two months. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, obviously, Paul is not denying the reality of these categories, right? He's not saying that they don't exist. But he's saying that when our lives are ordered by Christ, these identities become less important. Because our primary identity becomes child of God. And as our primary identity becomes the same primary identity with people who are different from us, it has a leveling effect, right? So those who are in privileged categories 
are humbled a little bit, right? Because they share the same primary identity with people who are lower on the social ladder. And those who are lower on the social ladder, the humble, are exalted, right? Because they share the same primary identity with the people who typically are on top, right? So it, it has this, this leveling effect. You know, presumably, on Easter Sunday, Jesus could have appeared to anybody he wanted to whenever he wanted to. What we see in those resurrection accounts is that Jesus seems to be able to disappear and reappear at will. In the Gospel of John, when he does uh, appear to the majority of the disciples, finally, he appears to them when they're hiding in a room behind locked doors. Right? So Jesus has no problem appearing or reappearing wherever he wants, but he still chooses to appear first to these women. Because in Christ's kingdom, the humble are exalted, and the exalted are humbled. The Old Testament prophet Joel foresaw this when he spoke these words on behalf of the Lord. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So Joel is talking here about the same categories that Paul will talk about later in Galatians. Right? Not just Jews, but all people, including Gentiles, right? Not just sons, daughters as well. Not just free people, servants, even servants, and even women servants. It's the lowest on the social ladder, right? And throughout Jesus' ministry, we see this being fulfilled over and over again. The humble are exalted, and the exalted are humbled. And of course, we see that even on Easter morning as these women are given the honor of being the apostles to the apostles. So let's look a little more closely at Jesus' interaction with Mary Magdalene. Mary is outside the tomb, weeping. The empty tomb is a source of joy for us now, but in this moment, it was a source of sorrow for her. She thought Jesus' body had been stolen. A final insult to his memory. He doesn't even get a proper burial. And then she sees Jesus. Now, she doesn't realize that it's him at first. Even though she looks right at him and he speaks to her, <clears throat> doesn't click at first. And Jesus asks, as if he doesn't already know, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And it says that Mary assumes that he's the gardener. The gardener. And that's significant. Because it, it brings out the fact that there are parallels between Easter morning and the first story in the Bible. The story of the Garden of Eden. The story of Adam and Eve. Both stories take place in a garden. The Garden of Easter Morning, the Garden of Eden. That first garden, 
the Garden of Eden, was also a place of sorrow. After Adam and Eve sinned, sorrow entered into their experience. And just like Jesus did on Easter morning in that story of the Garden of Eden, God walks in the garden and he asks Adam and Eve questions that he already knows the answers to. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Where are you? Where are you, Adam? And those parallels should help us to see that Easter morning is the reversal of the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, joy, the joy of creation, turned to sorrow. But in the Garden of Easter morning, sorrow turns to joy. In the Garden of Eden, death and sorrow enter the world. Right? But in the Garden of Easter morning, resurrection life enters the world. In the Garden of Eden, creation was corrupted, but in the Garden of Easter morning, creation was redeemed. And the good news of this reversal is first given to a woman, which is significant. It, here's why it's significant. So, in the story of the Garden of Eden, after sin enters the world, God describes what the consequences of this are going to be. And he says to the woman that now her husband will rule over her. You see, that's because sin disrupts the relationship between men and women. And typically, women end up on the underprivileged side of that disruption. Ruled over. This is an observable fact, right? If we look at the world, if we study history, I can think of plenty of societies throughout history where the majority of women are subjected to oppression and control, right? I, I can't think of any societies throughout history where the majority of men are the oppressed, controlled people, right? You know, one extreme example of of when this goes really ugly is uh, the practice of sati in India, which thankfully is rarely practiced today, but it was the idea that you know, when a, a woman's husband dies and his body is burned on the funeral pyre, the widow should be burned too. Now, did they ever say, well, if the woman dies first, the man should go on the funeral pyre? No. It's always the other way around. Many societies throughout history have denied women education. A woman's wisdom should be in the spindle. They've said things like that. But have any done the reverse? We'll educate the women, but we'll refuse to educate the men. I don't know of any cultures that have routinely said something like that. So we can observe the truth of what God says in Genesis 3. Women will be ruled over. But we have to recognize this is a consequence of sin. It's not the good order of creation. It's the fallen order. Because God didn't design us to rule over one another. He designed us to love one another. 
as Jesus said to the disciples, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Not so with you. Whoever wants to be greatest among you should be a servant. So I hope that you've seen throughout this series that Jesus didn't come to enforce the curse, but to reverse the curse. Right? He didn't come to enforce the curse, but to reverse the curse. When the church realizes this and follows Christ's lead, beautiful things happen. That practice, the practice of sati in India, one of the reasons that it was banned was largely due to the work of Christian missionaries like William Carey, who did everything they could to, to stop it, to argue against it. The old world died on Easter morning, and a new world was born. So let's live like it. Let's, let's not lord it over one another, but love one another. And may the church be the place where the curse is not enforced, but reversed. Amen? Lord, uh, we, we thank you so much for the new kingdom that you established on Easter Sunday, that you inaugurated. And Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege of living like citizens of that kingdom now. Help us to love one another rather than lord it over one another. We thank you that you pour out your spirit on all types of people. Lord, we pray that we would be the kind of community that that recognizes that, that celebrates that, that, that exalts those who have been humbled and kindly humbles those who have been exalted. Help us to be that. Help the whole church throughout the world to be that. In Jesus' name, amen.